Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. You got your Bible? Let's lift it up to the Lord. I love the Bible, right? This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. I am about to be taught from the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And I will never be the same again. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the Word. Okay, so we're going to do something a little different tonight. We, we, uh, we finished the seven feasts. Went all the way through there, and so during that time, and on several occasions as we were studying the seven feasts of Jehovah, we mentioned there was several times we mentioned the seventieth uh, uh, seventy weeks of Daniel or Daniel's seventieth week or in that, and a couple of people have come and asked, you know, if there was, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. So, kind of to close out on that, I think what I'm going to do, I, I know what I'm going to do. It's not don't think about it. I I put it together, put a lot of a lot of study into this, and we're going to finish it out with a study of uh, Daniel's, the week, the 70 weeks of Daniel, God's plan for Israel, and uh, so there's, uh, you should have all the material in front of you, there's several things to look at, quite a bit of material to cover, a lot of uh, scripture to cover, so uh, we'll have a lot to, uh, for you to write, I hope you got a pen to fill in the blanks, there's not going to be so much writing in the first part, but until we get to about page five, and then there's going to be a lot. But I think, uh, I think you'll get something out of it because it's a very important scripture, probably one of the most important, and we'll cover that here in just a minute. But I, I just want to preface this to start with uh, when, I'm, when I'm giving you there. There's a very many difference of differences of opinions on the interpretation of the book of Daniel and especially this particular passage of scripture, which is Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And the reason I say that is because this is the scripture that talks about uh, the 70 weeks that uh, Gabriel delivered to Daniel in a, uh, when he was praying. We'll talk about that as we go through here. But I, I'll, I'm going to tell you up front where I come from. I'm going to I'm going to give it to you as far as my uh, <clears throat> my viewpoint and what I believe in uh, is from a, a um, pre-rapture, pre-millennial, pre-tribulation viewpoint. In other words, and also that goes along with I'm. I, I believe in the dispensational uh, theory of, of uh, how God made this plan for. And we talked about that a little bit in one of the Bible studies before. So that's where I come from. Now, there may be a difference of opinion. People may not uh, cater to the uh, dispensational method, which means basically what that, you know, God has seven dispensations for, the, for mankind that will go all the way from uh, the dispensation of innocence when uh, Adam and Eve were uh, first created to... Uh, the dispensation of uh, divine government, which is the millennial kingdom. That would be the final one. So you may not, but it, uh, to me it fits along with the way the Bible reads. And then when I say, and, and what, how I study and what I've seen in the scripture, and then what I study is also the, 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 70, the, the 70 weeks, which the 70th week, which we will study in detail tonight a little bit. Uh, it, I, I, I believe that we, we will be the church, itself will be raptured before the last week uh, that's described in Daniel's. So it, what, that's what I mean by pre-rapture. I mean, we, I believe in the rapture before uh, the, the 70 weeks starts, and also it's, it's going to be before the tribulation, of course. The rapture before the tribulation, and then uh, at the end of the tribulation we'll have the millennial kingdom. That's just my belief. So if you very differ from that, I don't, I don't think that's going to send you to hell. It may, not, it may delay you a little bit, but that's... May delay your trip to heaven, but no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You, there's, like I said, there's many scholars that have that have good uh, good uh, interpretations and translations of that, and have different opinions. But I believe uh, I, I, this is the way I believe. So uh, it's not one of those things that uh, you have to have before you can go to heaven. You have to know this. But I think it's important to know these things because, believe it or not. Uh, Y'all may not believe this or not, but I believe we're living in the uh, time described as uh, what Jesus says. You know, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and 
pestilence, famines, earthquakes in diverse places. And he says, uh, this is not the end, but this is just the birth pains. And I, I believe we're living in that time when we're going through the birth pains and we see those. And I believe we will be the generation that sees the, uh, I believe, I'm hoping and believing that we're this generation that uh, sees the rapture. And then after that, we'll be in heaven, but uh, God will start his uh, economy with uh, Israel once again. So let's just get, there's a lot to cover. Let's get started with the 70th week. How many have ever heard or, or wanted to study or know more about the 70th week of Daniel? I mean, there should be great interest in that because there's a lot of, you know, this is one of the pivot points of the Bible as far as I'm concerned about knowing and, and helping us to understand where we are in the time frame of God's plan. So the prophet Daniel said more specific things about the end times than any other Old Testament prophet. See, the, the, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are the two what they call apocryphal books of the, of the uh, apop, apocalyptic, not apocryphal, apop, apocalyptic. In other words, the, the end, tells about the end times. Those two books, Daniel and Revelation, tell us more about it than any of them. The 70 weeks prophecy of chapter 9 is considered one of the most important and profound prophecies in all of Scripture. In this brief study, we'll do a quick overview of this prophetic message. You may not think it's brief by the time I get through tonight, but anyway, I'm trying to. But with the goal to help us to understand what is revealing to us, why the 70th week pertains to the end times and how it relates to the book of Revelation. Daniel and Revelation are unequivocally connected. In other words, there's no doubt they're connected. You can see it, and if you've studied the Bible any at all, you know for sure that one one needs the other, and the other needs the other, so it's, it, they're both very important. The context, first I want to go over the context of the 70 weeks prophecy, prophecy. Daniel was one of several thousand Jews taken captive to Babylon between 605, some say 606 B.C., and 582 B.C., after King Nebuchadnezzar uh, in Babylon had sacked uh, Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. He was part of the mighty men of valor, the skilled, the educated, and could throw in there the royalty that were taken earlier in the war. Daniel was probably a teenager when taken, along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, more commonly known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's Babylonian name was Belteshazzar. By the time of the account in chapter 9, which we're going to cover tonight, Daniel is probably 90-plus years old. So he was, you know, he was taken when he was probably a teenager. Now he's 90-plus years old. By this time... He has lived throughout through the region, through the reigns of the Babylonian rulers, Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar, and has inter and had interpreted dreams from both. He and also he lived through other several other the Persians, and we'll get to that too. He was considered one of the most wisest men, one of the wisest men in the entire in the empire because of these dream interpretations. Now at this time, the, the time we're talking about, chapter nine, he's under the reign of Darius the Median, son of. Ahasuerus of the, of the Medes. This is the same Darius that had promoted Daniel to a high position in the kingdom and then had to cast him in the lion's den. Remember that story? Because of the ruthless jealousy and plot from the other governors and satraps of the land. Daniel had been made uh, one of the three governors of the, of the land by uh, King Darius, and, but he wouldn't bow and would not bow to the image. And so they, the, the other ones tried to trap him and... Uh, it ended up backfiring on him. So anyway, you go you're back and read the story if you want to. So this Daniel in his later years was reading in the book of Jeremiah and understood that the 70 years of servitude, servitude spoken of by the, by the prophet Jeremiah were almost over. We see that in Daniel 9 too. In the first year of his reign, uh, his reign, he's talking about Darius, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So here's what he was reading in the book of Jeremiah. He read Jeremiah 25, 11, And this whole land, this whole land, uh, 11 and 12, he, this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the, uh, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So you know that's, a, that's true. He did that because now that country is nothing but desert, uh, Persia, Iraq, and that part of the country what we're talking about. 
This prompted Daniel's prayer of confession and supplication on behalf of Israel and Jerusalem that we see at the beginning of chapter 9, starting with verse 4. And I encourage one of you to go read. That's one of the most dynamic prayers in the Bible. Go, go read that section that starts in verse uh, 4 and concludes about uh, 24 where we're going to start. And in this prayer time, a must read for all, he, is, he was interrupted by the angel Gabriel. And, and here's what he says in Daniel 9. Uh, this is uh, the part where Gabriel interrupts in, in 20 through 23. He says, now while I was speaking, and I, I told you there's going to be lots of scripture, so. so while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my, of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, and, and for reference, you can write down 816. That's where you can see. Go back and look at that later if you want to. Uh, that was his first meeting with Gabriel to inter interpret the vision of the ram and the male goat. Go back and read that. The book of Daniel has got so much to read in there, so you need to go back and read the whole thing if you hadn't done that already in your daily Bible readings. But anyway, he says uh, the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have, come now, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, Daniel would have been grateful had the angel merely confirmed that Jerusalem would be re rebuilt. Indeed, the angel did confirm that, and yet, he said much more as he gave Daniel the remarkable 70 weeks prophecy found in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, which we will read now. Listen, listen closely. This is in the New King James Version. There's other versions that probably give a little bit more definition, but this is the one I use all the time. 70 weeks, starting in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be a flood, shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a, confer a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now you have to say that uh, that's a that if you just had to read that and try to interpret that, it, it'd be kind of hard to understand if you didn't have some background on here. So as many of you know, if you've already studied this at all, there is no small amount of disagreement over how this prophecy should be understood. It is written in a very concise manner, which is by no means simple. So it must be uh, approached and broken down and interpreted with great care. But I believe it can be understood and be very beneficial and necessary to the understanding of God's plan for Israel and the book of Revelation. As we unfold the meanings of words and phrases, we will do our best to honor the text and the context to show as much historical context and proof as possible in a short study of this prophecy and others to show and demonstrate the word in the word the harmony of end-time prophecy with the whole of Scripture. And like I said earlier, there are many, many interpretations of this particular passage among Christian and Jewish Old Testament scholars, but I believe there are four basic points that a great number of them agree on with some minor variations. Number one, the 70 weeks begins with a commandment made in the year 445 B.C. That commandment, is, and there are several variations of that, so we'll see some of that as we go through here. And then the 70 weeks are based upon a 360-day prophetical chronology or reckoning of time, a Jewish calendar basically, but it's with some variation of that. The first 69 weeks have been fulfilled, and the 70th week is yet to be fulfilled in the future. And number four, the focus of this chapter 9 prophecy is national Israel and Jerusalem. Keep that in mind. We're talking about national Israel and Jerusalem as we talk about this whole thing, what we're seeing here. There are some other questions that need to be considered before we get into the pro prophecy of the of chapter 9 itself 
for background information on how the people of Israel got to this point in the first place. Why did God allow Nebuchadnezzar to attack and destroy Jerusalem and the temple and haul off thousands of them to exile in Babylon? The short answer to that goes back to the book of Leviticus, where God gives them the detailed instructions on the walk, worship, and service of the redeemed people of God. In it is given the laws of sacrifices and offerings, the consecration of the priesthood, the full establishment of the tabernacle worship, the holiness of God's people in soul, body, and spirit, the relationship of Israel to God, the feast of Jehovah, the record of God dwelling in the tabernacle in the midst of his people, and the proper means of approaching in fellowship with God. The entire book of Leviticus is permeated with the sanctity of God, the holiness of his character, and the necessity of the congregation to approach him in purity of heart and mind. I think that still applies today when we think about that. If we come to church, we ought to think about that, the sanctity of God, the holiness of his character, and uh, to approach him in purity of heart and mind. God's, that's, that's without the law. That's not saying we follow the law. It's because we have been born again and have a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's specific instructions were, inst were violated by his people by failing to keep holiness in mind, by violating his commandments, especially going into uh, idolatry many times during the various king's reigns, and by violating specifically the law of Sabbath year and jubilee. Let's look at the law, the prediction of rebellion and the consequences of uh, disobedience and rebellion. And we're going to look at this uh, by the Sabbath year and, and Jubilee. This is in uh, chapter 25 of Leviticus, uh, verse 2 through 7. It's important for us to get this as context to, to help us understood, understand. Remember, we studied the feast, and they were through uh, chapter 23. We've seen all of those in part of 24, I believe. So speak to the children of Israel. This is God speaking to Moses again, and he says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land, remember, they're in, the, they're in their wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. So when they come into the land, which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year, listen here, but in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, for you, your male servant and female, uh, uh, female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts who are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. Then in... Uh, Verse 8, it says, and you shall count seven Sabbaths. Now, see, we're already talking about it. every seventh year was supposed to be a, a Sabbath of the land. So now you count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of the years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet, that, that we're referring to the shofar in this case, of the jubilee, uh, which is jubilee basically means a shout of war, alarm, or joy. In this case, it means joy. And if you look at that word uh, jubilee, it actually translates into uh, teruah, teruah or teruah, which is the same thing as the Feast of, of uh, Trumpets, which they, they call the Feast of, of um, teruah, uh, same thing. So it, it basically means Feast of uh, ju Jubilee. To sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the Day of Atonement, you shall make the trumpets sound throughout all of your land. So every, every 49th year, the next year, on that, the Feast of Atonement, they would declare a jubilee year, that 50th year. And for a whole year, it was a jubilee year. <clears throat> and you shall, this is what happens here on this jubilee year. You shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty through all the land, throughout all the land, to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. In other words, you eat the produce. You don't eat anything that's growing out there free on its free accord. Uh, you eat what uh, was produced in that 49th year or the the uh, uh, seventh. Uh, the, it would actually be uh, what it was grown in the seventh year because actually you're going to end up, if you look at this from the point of... of uh, uh, production on, on yourself right there at the 48th year 
and you can read this, uh, go back and read this in uh, Leviticus, or go read it later, Leviticus 25, 18 through 22. You might write, write that down. But this, God tells you what his provision is going to be because he's, he's telling you you're going to have an abundant crop on the, on the sixth year that will carry you through the seventh year. And then on the Jubilee year, you'll have such an abundant crop on the sixth year or the 48th year that it will carry you through the 49th year, through the, the uh, Jubilee year, the 50th year, and through the following year because you're going to have to plant your crops and you won't be able to reap its harvest until, that end, until the harvest season of that year. So it just shows you how great God's provision is uh, when he declares this. So that's what they were supposed to do, but they failed to do that. So because of that failure, this is a prediction. Uh, there was a prediction of Israel's fa failure spoken to Moses in his last days. You know, when they were about and they were approaching the promised land at the last days, Moses was told he was going to go uh, to be with his uh, fathers and he was going to die. And they, so he, uh, God called uh, Moses. Uh, so here, let's just read it in Deuteronomy 31, 14 through 18. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves uh, in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. Talking about Joshua. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers. Now, this is the part that he's talking about. And this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they, where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day. And I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods. And so see, it was already before Moses died even. He knew that the people of Israel, before as they went into the land, they established themselves into the land, that they were going to be, he was just telling them, warning them ahead of time, they're going to fail. But, you know, here's the consequences of the rebellious people is written in Leviticus. It says in Leviticus 26, 27 through 28, it says, And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And, even, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And then in Levit Leviticus 26, 34 through 35, he says, Then the land, this goes back to the Jubilee and the, seven, the seventh, Sabbath of the seventh year, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, and you are in your enemy's land. That speaks of the time when they are captured, captured and taken and hauled off to Babylon. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies de desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. In other words, he's saying, for the times that you didn't obey me and let it rest, the land's going to get its rest, and this is the way it's going to happen. Second Chronicles also is another uh, uh, place where it says the same thing, or basically the same thing. And, it, and it's talking about the, the time when Babylon uh, came in. And it says, and those who escaped from the sword, be carried away. he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king, kingdom of Persia. And to fulfill, see, we had Babylon first, and then the Persians come in after that and defeated Babylon. So that, that's what he's talking about here, from Babylon to Persia. And to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land has enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she delays death desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So now we see from these scriptures the reason they were in the predicament of exile. But if you continue to read further in Jeremiah, the prophet also includes the promise of hope for the immediate future uh, for Israel. And if you go and read this, continue reading this, I'm just going to give you one verse. But if you'll read verse 10 through 14, you'll see those promised uh, provisions of restoration. But here's what he says in Jeremiah 29:10. He says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Now, you, 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 2910, that ought to be very familiar to you because 2911 is the one most everybody in this room probably knows it from heart because this is the one everybody quotes. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You remember that? Every, everyone says that from time to time. 
So that, that scripture is right before that, after 70 years are completed at Babylon. And then read the rest of it after uh, 11, go through 14. That's, it's very interesting to what, how he would restore the, the ninefold restoration. There's nine things that God's going to do at that time. We won't cover that right now. So, and that is what the whole message of Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is, is a message of hope for the immediate future of Israel as well as the future of Israel in the end times. And we'll get to all of that soon. <clears throat> so, another issue to address is one found in the first verse of chapter 9, uh, the chapter 9 passage. It says, 70 weeks have been determined by your people in your holy city. So, where we see the word weeks, that, that's always confusing, but where we see the word weeks in this passage but we must remember that this is an English translation from Hebrew, and that meanings don't always translate perfectly. And while the English word week always means a period of seven days, the Hebrew word is actually less specific because it only means a period of seven. So when we're saying uh, uh, 70 weeks, basically what he's saying is 77s have been determined for your people in your holy city. So uh, while the English word week always means a period of seven some translations, and you can see the ones that I'm talking about there, address this difference in meaning by using the word sevens instead of weeks. So you can see that in some of them. The NIV probably says uh, 77. Excuse me. The majority of theologians, both Christian and Jew, Jewish, believe that the word weeks or sevens used here should be understood as a period of seven years. So while this may seem odd to most English speakers, this isn't unusual in the biblical context because Israel observes cycles of seven years as well as cycles of seven days. And there's a whole bunch of scriptures you can go back and look at, example scriptures you can go and look at that. So we're talking, when he says 70 weeks, he's actually saying 70 sevens of years have been determined. So furthermore, <clears throat> so what's 70 times seven? 490, right? There you go. Furthermore, in this particular prophet, prophetic context, most believe these years are best understood as biblical years. When we say a biblical year, this refers to a year that has exactly 360 days. Our year, Gregorian, well, we'll get to that. Uh, and so, uh, when we, when, and so equivalent, equivalently, the 12 biblical months each had exactly 30 days. The 360-day year is preferred in order to be consistent with other related prophecies that refer to a specific number of days, months, or years. This calendar would be, fer be referred to as the prophetic calendar or prophetic chronology. This is how the 70 weeks break down in years. So we have, as you read in the scripture, seven weeks, the 49-year period of time where the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem was given. It would take 49 years to accomplish this beginning in 445 B.C. We'll see that later as we go through in detail. And then it says 70, 62 weeks from the end point on the rebuilding the walls until Messiah was to be revealed, it would be 62 weeks or 434 years. And so, and then one week, the last week, this seven-year period is yet to be fulfilled because God stopped the time clock for Israel when they rejected their Messiah and he went to the cross. So now let's look at the breakdown of the chapter 9 as we go. We, we read chapter 9 without any explanation. Now let's read it and hopefully this will give you a There you go. It's back. Maybe it's got a loose battery. <clears throat> so this will this is a breakdown to give us a little bit more detail, and you've got blanks on there, and uh, if it, so, it's going to take a. This is where you're going to get your hand going and exercise your hand. So, so where it says on verse 24, it says 70 weeks are determined. So what that means is it's divided, cut off, separated, or decreed, where it says determined. So this is God's plan. Seventy weeks are determined. That means God has planned it. It's determined. It's what's going to happen. For your people and for your holy city. <clears throat> that means, so he's talking to Daniel. So he says, for your people, the people of Israel, and Jerusalem. Israel and Jerusalem is what he's talking about here. And then I've listed six things that are supposed to happen. Number one is to finish transgressions. He's talking about Israel right on these things. To finish transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation, reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in an everlasting righteousness. On that, uh, making reconciliation for iniquity, you can see that in, it, we've talked about this before, Zechariah 12, uh, 9 through verses, uh, 12, 9 through uh, 13, uh, 1. If you want to write that down and go back, that's, that's what's in there. And you'll get a copy. Matter of fact, there should be a copy of all these answers at the end of the uh, 
a session tonight if, to help you out if you don't get it all written down to try. And then to bring in everlasting righteousness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, uh, number four, and that was accomplished by Jesus. Now, when I say it was accomplished by Jesus, it was partially at the first coming and in fullness at his second coming. All these things we're talking about here. To seal up vision and prophecy, and that means everything fulfilled. And number six, and to anoint the most holy. And we're talking about sanctifying the temple or sanctify the temple, and which in this case will probably be the millennial temple. Sound, so are you caught up by now? Okay. Number 25, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command or the decree. So you can see this in Nehemiah uh, 2, uh, 1 through 8. And remember, Nehemiah, when you, if you read it, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king, the king uh, Artaxerxes, about, and this was about 444 B.C. This is when uh, the actual command went forth that we're talking about. God's clock, clock is started again. That, the next line says, to restore and build Jerusalem. And so right here, that's an answer to Daniel's prayer that he had in, in if you go back and read in that prayer, verse uh, chapter 9, verses 6, 16 through 19, you'll see what he was praying for. Until Messiah the Prince, now we're talking about Messiah the Prince, which is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. He's the Messiah. So it's predicting here that he's, uh, he's his triumphal entry to Jerusalem, Luke 19, uh, 20 through, 29 through 40, this was the first time that Jesus was presented as king uh, in that scripture. So that's what it's saying. Until Messiah the Prince is presented, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So here we're saying seven, seven sevens of years and 62 sevens of years. So that means there's 49 years and there's plus 434 years, which that equals into 483 years. And I know this is a lot of writing and a lot of thinking about years, but the thing about it is what we need to see here is the the accuracy of the prophecy when he's talking about it. And, and if you follow this out through there, you'll realize that it took 49 years for Nehemiah to build the wall, uh, the moat, the ramparts, and everything. When he was dispatched in 444, 445 uh, B.C., it took him 49 years to complete that. Uh, actually, he built the wall, he finished the wall in 52 days, which was a remar remarkable thing anyway. Go back and read Nehemiah. It's a remarkable story of the, of the resolve of those people to, to, to do the things that they did. So, so that going forth of the command to rebuild, to restore and build Jerusalem and to, until Messiah the Prince. And then there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall. Now, the reason that detail is in there about the street and the wall is because uh, there was an earlier return that was allowed uh, before uh, Nehemiah went. That was Ezra, where the prophet Eph or the priest Ezra went, and he took a, a contingent of of uh, exiles back, and they rebuilt the temple. This was like about a hundred years before that. So this is not the first time that uh, Israelites were gone back. But but he's talking. Uh, th this is at the end of the seventy years that they were in. Um, um, uh, you know, this is towards the end. So Ezra went before. Actually, Ezra went approximately uh, 538 uh, B.C. So you can say it was nearly 100 years before uh, Nehemiah went. And so, anyway, this is, this is like 100 and some odd years after uh, Daniel is writing this, uh, writing this book. So it says, The street shall be built again in the wall at... We talked about the earlier return, even in troublesome times. So if you read the book of Nehemiah, you will see that Nehemiah experienced, experienced resistance from uh, uh, people such as Sanballat, Tobiah, and others that against building the wall. He had some troublesome times to build the wall. Matter of fact, they had to build the wall. If there's, a, there's an account in there where it says they were building the wall, and they had to be on guard at the same time. So they were using one hand to build the wall, and they kept the sword in the other hand. So they were very busy uh, trying to make sure that there, there wasn't somebody going to come up behind them and try to slay them or keep them from building the wall. But this time may not be limited to just the 49 years, because still between that time period of time till the coming of, uh, till the end of uh, uh, the scripture in the Old Testament. You still have the Greeks and Romans to come uh, after the Persians. So, in verse 26, 
And after the 62 weeks, which we're ta- we said there was a thir- 434 years up to Christ's entry to, this is Christ's triumphal entry to come into Jerusalem on the Passover week. After that 62 weeks, then Messiah, talking about Jesus, shall be cut off, but not for himself. So that we're talking about around A.D. 30 is when that happened because that's when Jesus was crucified. Somewhere in that area, it varies. Some, people, some scholars say 30, some say 33. It depends on where they, where they set the, the year zero for uh, B.C.A.D. Uh, type uh, situation. But anyway, uh, Jesus was rejected and crucified, remember? And it says, not, but not for himself. Now, a lot of texts will say for nothing. Well, what a lot of what means that he he was he was cut off, he was killed, he was crucified for nothing. Basically, he says, for he was cut. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah fifty three eight. He says, for he was cut off from the land of the living, and this is the nothing for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. That answers the question why he was cut off. But it was wasn't for himself. It was for the transgressions of my people that he was stricken. And then the next line says, and the people of the prince. Who is to come? It's the people of the Antichrist type, uh, the, like the Roman Emperor, or it says the people of the Prince who is to come. We and and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Uh, those need, two need to get to get together. It's not the Prince who is to come, and we're not talking about Jesus. This is the Prince that is to come. Jesus has already been crucified. He's gone, and the people of the Prince, the people. These are the people of the Antichrist type, the Roman Emperor, the the. The uh, uh, and, and in our day and time, it would be the Antichrist types like we have the people that are trying to set up the new world order, the the now what we a lot would call the revived Roman Empire. So it's basically the people that are not following after Jesus, it's the people that's following off the, after the the uh, the uh, uh, spirit of the Antichrist. These are the people that came and destroy, and that's what the Romans were, and they did that. Uh, they they destroyed the city and the sanctuary. They they leveled the city. Uh, uh, the fall of Jerusalem, and the destruction of the temple. That's what should be in the blanks right there. And that happened in A.D. 70. It started, Israel started rebelling against Rome uh, again in about 66 A.D. And when they finally come in and put it, they, it says, the end of it shall be with a flood. Now, that's a very hard one to interpret, but basically what that means, it's a, it was a catastrophic overflowing deluge overwhelming divine judgment and that happened in AD 70. In other words, the Romans come in there and if you read the account from uh, Josephus about uh, about that particular destruction, it's it's horrifying because they said that they the Romans were so uh, de- des- desperate to kill and to defeat the the Israelites that for rebelling that at that one time that they said the bodies got so high that they were as high as the altar in the temple and they were just in the and the blood was running down like a river from, from the temple itself. And they ended up destroying the entire temple. Uh, you can read this in, in uh, Matthew 24 where Jesus, you know, you remember the account where Jesus said uh, when they were showing him the temple and saying, look how beautiful this temple is. Well, Jesus said, uh, you may think it's beautiful, but I'll tell you right now, there, one day there will not be a, a stone laying upon the other when this whole temple would be destroyed. Read that in Go read that. That's a time that he's he's telling, actually telling about this destruction that would happen very shortly after he dies within within 40 years. And possibly the flood is what they call a metaphor intended as an allusion to the flood of Noah's day, which came as an act of God's judgment. So that's why I said it was overwhelming divine judgment. So the next line says, until the end of the war, uh, desolations are determined. This could possibly be a reference to uh, desolations that come in the last week. Also, uh, the last week, when I say the last week, that's the last week, the 70th week um, that we're fixing to talk about that will come in the last week. But during this time, the Jews were dispersed and the dispensation of grace, we talked about that before, the dispensation of grace, when the Jews rejected Jesus, that's when the dispensation of grace uh, started uh, because they they no longer... uh, believed or they rejected their Messiah. So that's what we're in now is the dispensation of grace, and it continues for 2,000 years. In verse 27, he says, Then he shall confirm, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. The he he's talking about right here is uh, the Antichrist. I think we cover that somewhere else later, but he shall confirm a week. We already talked about the pro, the, the Antichrist before, but he meaning the Antichrist will con- confirm a covenant with 
many for one week. So here we are. This is the Daniel's 70th week that we're talking to, we've been trying to get to. This is Daniel's 70th week. This is the tribulation period. And you can read all about it in Revelation chapter 6 through 19 if you want to see what all happens during that time in great detail. So he, he confirms a covenant with many for one week. Not only does he confirm with Israel, this is a, piece, a covenant of peace, as we shall see in, in Revelation, but this is for one week or one period of seven years. But in the middle of this week, this, in the middle of this period of seven years, which is mid-tribulation, 42 months down the road, the covenant is broken by the Antichrist. The great tribulation begins. Jesus predicted this also. So in the middle of the week, after the week the covenant started, the, the week has started, tribulation, you don't see anything in here about the, uh, the church, right? You don't see anything about the rapture or where the church is at at this time because the church was still a mystery. We'll cover that in just a little bit. But in the middle of the week, mid-tribulation, 42 months, covenant is broken by Antichrist, the great tribulation begins. So after 42 months, he has broken, the Antichrist has broken uh, his covenant. And then he shall bring, so he's already made a covenant with Israel. He shall bring it in to sacrifice and offering, he the, meaning he the Antichrist, like we said. So when he says he's going to bring it in to sacrifice and offering, what he's talking about and what this infers to is that there is an existence of a new temple, uh, at the time, and we've talked about this before. You know, the Israelites now, even the Jewish people now, are preparing things to where they, when they, if they ever get a chance to build a temple again, they've already got many of the pieces already ready to go. They've already got a red heifer that's uh, 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 without blemish, that's uh, already grown and ready to provide the blood for the consecration of the temple. So are, they're already looking forward to this time. And that, so that's why I'm saying we're right in the birth pangs of, of what's happening. This infers the existence of a temple and the reestablishment of the sacrificial system. We won't see this because we're going to be gone from here, I believe. And this will be, and then so when he does this, when the Antichrist does this, it will be considered an act of aggression against Israel. And then the next verse says, And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Now we're talking here about the wing of desolation shall be, shall be one who makes desolate. So it's taught, this is called the abomination of desolation in many places. This is where the Antichrist sits in the Holy of Holies. In other words, the temple is rebuilt, and he sets himself up as God. You can read that in the book of Revelation. It covers that. But he sets himself up as, as God. And the wing of abomination, it could refer to a demonic winged creature. I always think about, you know, you see these images of, of winged Satan, Probably him. He's riding on Satan's back to set up this desolation. So, uh, or it also could say it could be referring to at that time when they were writing this. It could be, or when he's talking about this, it also could be an image of the winged eagle standard that the Roman legions had. They had that on their flag. Was that that was the Roman legion uh, standard? But anyway, either way, that it, it wing of domin uh, denomination uh, or abominations is a very hard one to interpret. Uh, interpret anyway. So even until the consummation, which is determined, the second ad, what, what that means is that we're talking about the consummation, that will be the second advent or the coming of Jesus with the saints, visible for all to see the fulfillment of God's revealed plan on earth. The consummation is already determined. God knows when it's going to happen. It's going to happen sometime after the seven years of tribulation. Uh, we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when the rapture is going to happen. But I promise you, when the rapture happens, things are going to start happening shortly after that, very quickly. And then we could pretty much say the clock has started again. The seven years is going to be a time frame. Uh, seven, that's the, seventh, the, the last week, the one week, the week of sevens. And that's when the second coming of Christ will be at the end. This will be the visible coming when they will, every eye on earth will see him coming. And so the final part is, is poured out on the desolate or the desolator, basically the Antichrist. He will be destroyed. Revelation 19, uh, verses 11 through 21, describes that in very great detail. The beast and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. So that's basically what that, that's, that scripture is telling you. That's what it's looking for. And, you know, I told you a while ago earlier that the, the church was a mystery. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. He says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, talking about the church, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, that means at the end of the time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which on earth, which are on earth in him. 
And that's when he's saying the believers that are Jewish, the ones that will become Christians during the tribulation period, and all believers before that. He's got one, one program of salvation, but he's got two plans for the, for the, uh, the there's a dispensation of grace, and then we go into the tri tribulation time. And this is the time when Israel will be uh, actually uh, going through that uh, terrible time. This last week, these seven years, is also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, Jeremiah 30, uh, verse 7 says this, says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. See, there's hope for Israel. Sixty-nine weeks have been completed, one week left to be completed. Why did the clock stop? So that, And that's kind of what we've covered on there. So I, basically the next, I'm not going to go through that picture. It's just a graphic you can look at, and, and it kind of gives you an idea. There's a little bit of difference in the, in the years right there, so don't get hung up on that. But it, it, if you look at all the numbers and do the calculations, it's, it's very, uh, very uh, much tells you how accurate that prophecy is and how it landed right on almost right on the day, and, and some say right on the very day that Jesus was crucified. It's amazing how, how quickly it was fulfilled. So yet to be fulfilled, the 70th week, go skip to the last page, the, the, the week, 70th week of Daniel, <coughs> tribulation completes God's plan uh, for Israel. I should say the last page because my, my page is mine. It's probably not yours. Uh, God keeps his promise. Through this plan, God keeps his promise to his chosen but will be, it will be at a great cost due to the rejection of him at the first advent of the coming of Jesus. See, it cost them. They could have accepted Jesus at that time, and it would have been a lot better for them, but we all know what happened since then. Jeremiah thirty eleven says, and he's talking to, this is Jeremiah declaring this to the people of Israel, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. See, Israel's going to have to go through the tribulation period. They're going to have to, that's part of their punishment, but there will be a, a, a remnant saved. Matter of fact, it says at the scriptures we read previously that all Israel will be saved. I believe that with all my heart at that time. That's when they, that, that's that Zechariah scripture we read before when they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. So that's why we need to keep. As we close in this, that's why we need to keep praying for the nation of Israel. Even after the church is caught away, they still must endure seven years of the wrath of God upon the earth. Psalm 122.6 gives us instructions for that. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And that's why I, I, I pray. We, we pray for that very thing to happen because we want the nation of America to continue to support Israel up in that time because May they prosper who love you. If we love Israel, if we pray for Israel, if we come to their aid whenever they, they need us, then that's showing that we support Israel and we love God's people. And then the last page that you all have probably right there is a, is a diagram just like this right here. I put that in there because it's a good visual to see how that's laid out and how that goes. If you go back to, the, to Daniel chapter 2 and, and, and read through that uh, uh, vision where uh, Daniel interprets the vision of Nebuchadnezzar where he, he sees the, the uh, statue of the man with the gold head, the silver chest, the bronze uh, uh, skirt, and the silver legs. Uh, it tells you about all that, but this is, shows you how it all lines up with those Daniel 70 weeks, you know, on there. So it all, it's all put together. And then go spend some time reading in the book of Revelation and see how this stuff lines up with it. God is so precise in his, his plan. Uh, so... If he's precise in his plan and we're living truly in the birth pangs of the, of the, right before the tribulation, that ought to tell us something right there. We ought to be, like the Bible says, look up because your redemption draws nigh, right? All right. I hope that helped you. And I know there was a lot of stuff there, but to, you, you probably have to go back and reread that. And if you would take some time to, to reread that, but uh, there's that, I hope it, I hope it better, it helps you better understand what he was trying to show us in Daniel, in the, in the chapter number 9, uh, verses 20 through, 24 through 27. That ends uh, my study time. So be here next week. Pastor Travis will start a new uh, series on the, on the um, seven foundations, I believe, he's going to start. So it's going to be very good. 
out of the book of Hebrew, I believe is what he told me. I hope that's right. So be here for next week. It'll continue to be good. Bible school's good. Y'all like Bible school? It's good. Let me tell you, not because, not because I get to be one of the teachers or Pastor Travis or whatever like that, but I believe a church that has good in-depth Bible school and, and study of the Word is, is, a, is a benefit to all of us and helps us do what we're supposed to be. To, to be. It's, we're supposed to be students of the Word and doers of the Word. How can we be good doers of the Word if we don't even understand it? So God bless you for coming, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for the, for the day. Father, such a beautiful day you gave us today, Father, and we thank you for what's coming. Father, we thank you that you're such a good, good God, and Father, we thank you that you give us uh, opportunity to study your Word, to see what it says, to help us, Father, to prepare to get our lives right with you before the, before the time of the end, Father. It's just like you're always giving us a heads up. You're giving us a warning. You're giving us a, 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 a time to repent, to get right, to, to warn other people, to be a warning to those folks to say, hey, listen, don't take this time lightly. It's time to get your life right. Here's the way you do it. Here's the one that got me right, and that's the one, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So that gives us opportunity to introduce him and, and to help someone find Christ is Lord and Savior, Father. We don't want anyone to perish, and we know that's your plan too. So, Father, thank you that you help us to do that, and Father, help us to be faithful servants to you, to do the things, to be good stewards of the things that you've given to us, Father, to administer them on the earth while there's still time to do it. We thank you for that. We bless you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below. And if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.